Well, school board meetings have become quite the talk of the town all around the country as parents are starting to wake up to what's happening around the United States in our woke and broken school system. Recently, my friend Steve Lambert decided to attend his first ever school board meeting in Lee Summit, Missouri. And today he's going to join me to talk about what happened. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. Lots of things happening here at the Firmly Planted Homeschool Resource Center and in Firmly Planted Family. If you guys are interested in following along as we begin uh, embarking on a journey to try to help you guys get resource centers around the country, check it out at fphrc.org. want to say thank you to everybody who is leaving comments and reviews for the show over at YouTube. Remember I told you guys last week that we often do not put uh, episodes on YouTube that talk about anything that YouTube might deem uh, goes against their communist policy. And so if you want the full Heidi St. John unedited podcast, you need to continue to listen at audio platforms. We're also working very diligently at coming up with a new service, a subscriber service. You guys are going to love it. Very excited about that. And we're continuing to grow at MomStrong International. Like I told you guys yesterday, we're just finishing up now with the study in the book of Hebrews, which has been enlightening and encouraging. And next month, we're going to talk about the irreplaceable value of mothers and why it's so important that moms learn to uh, meet their kids right where they are. So we're going to talk about nurturing your kids, body, soul, mind, and spirit. We're going to spend some time on homemaking, and we're going to answer the question, did God give the role of women to be homemakers? Well, the obvious answer is yes. It's all over scripture, but we're going to break it down for you and uh, just show you God's heart for mothers. It really is a beautiful thing. All right. You guys know my friend, Steve Lambert. He's been on the show with me several times. He and his wife, Jane, are very dear friends of my husband and myself. We've traveled around the country together. Steve has spoken for years on the homeschool circuit, and he is a father of two and a grandfather. All of his kids and grandkids have been homeschooled, so he knows quite a bit about what's happening in our education system. He called me a few days ago and said, hey, Heidi, I just went to my first school board meeting. And I was like, dude, how did that go? And it was so interesting. I asked him to come on the show and tell you guys what he saw and heard. Hey, Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, Heidi, thank you. It's always fun to be with you. I know it's fun to just uh, to be able to do it in a format like this because we're talking on the phone most days of the week. And uh, every once in a while, I'm like, dude, the whole world should hear that. In fact, you wrote something on your Facebook page the other day. Uh, talking about kudzu, and I think that might be a good place to start because it was so good that I put it on uh, on my big on my big page. So, what did you write about? Yeah, kudzu was another government master plan that went awry. They uh, shocker. I think the kudzu was introduced at some kind of an international world uh, conference or something as, as an exhibition plant, and the Soil Conservation Service of America said, "Well, that's great. We can use that for ground cover because it grows up to a foot a day." And it promptly covered about six states. Anywhere you, anytime you go to South Carolina, Georgia, anywhere down yeah. in that part of the country, all you see is this general shape of outline of trees and telephone poles because they're all draped in kudzu. Yeah, and they don't know how to kill it. It it travels above ground. It travels below ground. So you know, I was shocked not to discover <laughs> that a federal program could could possibly go wrong and produce the unexpected results that the uh, that they never intended to happen. I'm sure that has never happened since, but, no. uh, but it certainly happened in the 1920s to the 1950s with kudzu. And that's what's happened in the National Education Association the, and uh, 
the Department of Education, between yeah. the teachers' unions and the federal government, they have implemented a plan to help cover ground, to help to help uh, achieve all kinds of touchy-feely, ethereal kinds of goals and objectives, and it has absolutely draped our schools in woke nonsense, and it's hard to even find the students now. They're all buried under the kudzu of, of social reform and uh, mm. touchy-feely good stuff and equal outcome. Yeah, right. All all these kids that we're spending millions upon millions of taxpayer dollars to educate, and they're not getting educated at all. They're getting schooled. My friend Sam Sorbo uh, has often said to me, as we've talked about this issue over the years, that we don't know how to educate students anymore. We only know how to school them. And that's certainly what's happening uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. You, you know, because we've talked about this a lot. I started going to school board meetings before it was cool and just checking it out, just seeing, hey, I've heard a little rumor. That y'all might be, you know, we this is before we even heard the term woke, right? We didn't know that terminology. It seems like it, the left likes to change it and uh, change it up every couple of weeks. But I noticed a long time ago that the school boards have been infiltrated by leftist ideologues. And these are the people that are determining our curricula. These are the people that are determining whether or not boys can use the girls' restrooms. It really does come down to the school board. So what motivated you and your wife to attend your first ever school board meeting in your 70s? We had, uh, <laughs> I haven't had a child in public school since 1979. Wise, that was a wise daughter, Our oldest daughter was in public school in kindergarten and first grade, and then we began homeschooling in 1980. But, uh, but I'd heard rumors that things were not going well in public education. And and of late, there's been a lot of discussion here. And we live in a lovely uh, 5A suburban school district that was uh, uh, on the fringe of a metropolitan area, little rolling acreages and farms and lake developments, and just a beautiful place that 20 years ago was considered the number one school district in the state of Missouri. It's no longer even in the top 100. Mm. And several acquaintances of mine had gotten permission to speak at the school board meeting last week um, with regard to some of the pornography that's located in our school libraries. Yep. And so they asked that friends come and support them and encourage them and be there to pray for them during their testimony before the school board. So that's why we showed up. And all of that went down about as expected. In fact, one of our dear friends was escorted out of the building by the police when the school board president was outraged that he attempted to read before the adults in the room, books that were available for his daughter to read in the library. Uh, but the more interesting part, I thought, actually was prior to that, the just sitting and watching the business of the board before yeah. they invited any public commentary, because it was all done in uh, weird acronyms that were clearly intended to, to keep parents and non-educational professionals from feeling like they could have a part in this or even understand what these highly trained professionals were talking about. But there were enough code words you could figure out that they were talking about inclusion and and uh, relevance and participation and equity, equity, diversity, equity big turn. Uh, yeah. And so they were accounting for how they had spent millions and millions and millions of dollars in the last several school years to achieve all these touchy feely goals. But there was no metric for measuring them. There was yep. no way to say whether anything good or bad had come out of those attempts. And in the meantime, our school district, which went from number one and has some of the highest taxes in the state, has dropped out of the top 100 academically. I don't even know where it ranks now. They don't list it below 100, but it's somewhere. It could be dead last for all I know. All right. Well, it's interesting. So you say that 
this this one of these dads, and this is important. I think parents need to understand this. The material that we have allowed into our libraries that kids who are 12 years old, 10 years old, 8 years old have access to, there a lot of this material has been placed there by activists. It's pornographic in nature. I just heard a woman, a mother, reading to her school board in uh, in Broward County. She was reading about a, a book that was placed that her eight-year-old came home with. And I'm telling you what, Steve, I mean, I'm blushing listening to this woman read this book. And she finally looked at the board members and she was like, I hope you feel uncomfortable because I feel uncomfortable reading this stuff. And yet we're shoveling it to our children as if it were nothing more than a Dr. Seuss book. And that's really what this guy was trying to point out, right? Did they let him read it at all? No, he he made three or four attempts and she kept gaveling him down and shouting at him on the microphone that, you know, you you cannot read that in this room. You're not allowed to read that material. And people from the audience were standing up and screaming at her saying, well, it's all right for my ch- my child, right. my little girl to read it. Why isn't it okay for us, us as adults, professional educators, parents, and board members to hear this material? Right. And I don't know what... Well, I do know a lot about how you are, and I'm sure you never did this, but when I was in school, <laughs> Look if, out. There was, if there was anything salacious, if there was anything risque, word traveled quickly, and everybody sure. had to find their way to read that particular paragraph in that particular book. And so it's not, it's not just there for troubled children who might have questions about their sexual orientation or whatever. It's, right. it's there for curious minds who are eager to... to uh, see things that they probably shouldn't be seeing at that age. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you ready to experience the best sleep of your life? Listen, guys, I love, love, love the MyPillow mattress. My husband and I have been enjoying it for over a year. It's a two-sided encased coil quilted mattress, and you can get it delivered by UPS right to your door. It's easy to set up. Just unroll it and watch it come to life. The MyPillow mattress has a 10-year warranty, a six-month money-back guarantee, and free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use the promo code Heidi, and receive up to 60% off your orders again by using the promo code Heidi. Or call 1-800-447-0541 and again, use the promo code Heidi. Yeah, and and the language that is in these books is absolutely horrific. I mean, I have a 12-year-old, my youngest is 12, and I would be I would be sad. I mean, I, I can't think of a better word. Angry, sad, um, to see her innocence stolen from her in such a fashion. And yet the school boards don't seem to care about this. Did you feel like the school board who was gaveling this father down, did she say why he wasn't allowed to read it? There was so much yelling going on, it was hard to tell. My understanding was she was <laughs> saying that you're not allowed to read yeah. In this meeting. And I don't know if, she, if they have made a rule that you can't read anything. You must just speak extemporaneously or if she had made a rule that you can't read out of a library book or if she made, you know, I don't know. Uh, or if that was her impromptu decision, you're not allowed to read. But mm-hmm. 
anyway, the audience was shouting, go ahead, read it. It's being recorded. And she was yeah. screaming and gabbling and hammering away. And pretty wow. soon they had stationed in anticipation of the evening, two police officers who then escorted him out of the building. Wow. What a day we're living in, in the United States of America, when a father who's trying to keep children at a, at a school safe is not allowed to read from the material that's actually in the school library. That's very, very eye-opening. What are the other things that happened in, or some of them, because there was a lot, some of the other things that happened in that meeting that really gave you pause? Well, as I said, I was intrigued by the fact that uh, even the school board members who are mothers and fathers in the community looked Mm -hmm. a little baffled by some of the things that, it was a whole string of assistant superintendents that spoke uh, about measuring uh, all the progress of their social reform programs. And there was so much internal shop talk and so much, uh, so many acronyms that even the board members looked a little puzzled as to what was being said. And right, like my friend Phil and I were talking about the other night, it's so easy in this day and age. There were screens, overhead screens that everyone in the audience and the board could see. It would have been so easy had it been their intention to help parents become a part of the process. Mm. Just put a QR code up mm-hmm. and say, here, everybody take your phone. Go to this website. QR code and you'll find a glossary so that if you're not familiar with some of the terms they're going to be using tonight, here are the definitions because we want you to be a part of the journey and and not feel like dumb outsiders. But that clearly was not their intention. And I was disappointed to see that. But, you know, you and I have talked about this before. When we began homeschooling in 1980, it wasn't long till somebody turned us in for educational neglect. Hmm. And uh, we had a knock at the front door and it was social services came and had physically had to physically see our children to make sure they weren't being abused and so forth. And they eventually turned us over uh, to the school school superintendent of the district in which we lived. And so we had a meeting with him with an attorney uh, that we hired. And he looked at our test experience and looked at his test experience when he'd had our daughter in public school and agreed that we were doing a better job than they had done and pledged not to cause us any problems. But a few months later, and this is, understand, this is 1980, he calls, or 1981 maybe, he calls and he says, Mr. Lambert, I said, yeah, and he says, this is Dr. So-and-so, and I thought, oh no, here we go. And he said, uh, I've called together a blue ribbon panel of educational experts to meet for six weeks this summer to talk about what's going wrong in our public schools. He says, test scores are down. Uh, you know, participation is down, uh, unhappiness on the part of faculty, parents, students. He said, we're really having a bad time in public education these days. And I, of course, pretended to be stunned. I was like, oh, really, doctor? I'm, I had no idea. I'm shocked <laughs> to hear that. You got to be kidding me. And he said, well, you have, so, you know, from our conversation, you have a very unique perspective on education. And I wondered if you'd come and be a part of our series of meetings to talk about how to improve the policies of public education and improve the outcome for students in our community. And I said, I'd be honored. But I no more than got there and everybody had letters after the name, lots and lots and lots of letters, uh, except me. And I raised my hand to introduce myself as a homeschool dad and every head in the room turned like they were the exorcist because they'd never seen a homeschooled father what? living about it back in 1981. Right. And You're so like a very, dinosaur. Exactly. And the very first statement that the guy made uh, was my final moments in that series of meetings because he stood at a whiteboard. Well, actually, he didn't have whiteboards back then. We had blackboards. In fact, as old as I am, it's amazing they weren't writing with coal on the back of a shovel. But in any event, <laughs> on the blackboard, he writes, 
we could we could talk a lot about things that are wrong in public education, but let's start on a positive note and talk about things that we know to be right and true and good about public education. Number one, the responsibility for education of children rests with the state. Wow. This was 1980. 1980. And I raised my hand wow. and I said, you know, he said, yes, Mr. Lambert, do you, have, do you have a problem? And I said, yeah, that's not right. Yeah. Said, what do you mean it's not right? Now, I didn't tell him. God told me this because I figured that would confuse and muddy the waters. <laughs> so I just left out the source of my knowledge and I just said, <laughs> the responsibility for educating children rests with the parents yeah. and only insofar as they choose to delegate some or all of that authority does the state have anything to say about the education and the raising of children. And he asked for a brief adjournment at that point of the meeting. And so that was 40, what, 43 years ago? Uh, already, public educators were acknowledging that what they were doing is not working, and they needed to reevaluate it. And we've come a thousand miles since then, and what's happening now isn't working at all, as evidenced by the climbing suicide rate of teenagers today, the climbing rate of of uh, gender confusion, dysphoria, by the climbing rate of depression, and the falling rates of academic achievement in reading areas like reading and math. Yeah, and uh, it's tragic what's happened, and every parent needs to be involved, needs to get to a meeting, needs to see what's happening in their school district. Because I would have said, if you would ask me, that in a nice, lovely suburban school district of a Midwest city, nothing like that could be happening. Maybe in California, maybe in Washington, maybe in New York, but not in Missouri. But oh no, it's happening. And it's happening faster than you can possibly imagine. So parents need to open their eyes, get involved, and consider alternatives to public education. Yeah, and it's it's it. There's been sort of a genesis. I mean, you and I have been out on the speaker circuit together for you know 15 years, and there's certainly been a genesis in my message to parents because 15 years ago I was like, listen, homeschooling is not for everybody, and yep. you know everybody, and and I was uh, you know kind of annoyed at the what I consider to be kind of far right, you know, uh, people in the homeschool world who were, you know, screaming that the barn was on fire. And I'm like, okay, there's trouble in the public schools, but but come on, you know, there's Christian teachers, there's Christian administrators, you know, our kids, I was still kind of, not really, but sort of buying the salt and light argument. But yeah. over the years, uh, I think you and I have really sort of almost made this, m- this uh, metamorphosis together because yeah. now when someone says, what do you think about the public schools? I'm like, get your children out. Why is it? That we are asking our children to swim through a literal uh, cesspool to get yeah. a mediocre education. What 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 do you say? I mean, do you feel like things have changed in the way that you talk now about the public school system as opposed to 15 years ago? Oh, absolutely. 15 years ago, I would have said to anyone who asked and did say to hundreds or maybe thousands of parents who asked. You know, homeschooling is hard. Not everybody can do it. It's a difficult thing. It's it, it requires some degree of grace and call on the part of the Lord before you do that. So the default position is have your kids in public school. But if the Lord speaks to you, have courage and know that homeschooling works and that you can do this thing and that there are lots of resources to help. Now, particularly after last Thursday, yeah, right. my, my advice is get your kids out. Get mm-hmm. your kids out. I don't care if they're in a private Christian school, if they're homeschooled, if you have a tutor. Anything other than the indoctrination, the government indoctrination camps that schools have become, because they're not helping your children academically. They are not preparing them for life. 
and they certainly are not preparing them for the kingdom of God. Uh, they are working directly at odds with the goal of every parent, or what should be the goal of every parent. And you and I have talked about a time some years ago when I interviewed a, a Fortune 50 uh, human resources director, and I mm -hmm. asked him point blank, I said, you know, are you able to find graduates and uh, your recruiting teams, crisscrossing America? They had 250,000 employees. I said, are you able to find graduates today who can do the work? He said, these kids today, he said, I can find thousands of them who can do the work, but I can't find any who will do the work. Wow. They they want to do personal banking on their own time. They want to do TikTok. They want to do FaceTime. They want extra time off to go to lunch. And if they don't feel like coming into work today, they just call in and don't come. He said, I can't find any of them who know what it means to hold down a job, be responsible, do the things that they were hired to do. And so in addition to the moral cesspool, as you so rightly said, we're also failing to teach our children how to take their place. And this is the second or third generation in many cases that have mm -hmm. lost it. And that's why everywhere you go, the restaurants are closed, even the drive throughs trouble, and they're closing three days a week because they can't find any employees. Uh, the world's gone mad, and, and kudzu is growing in our schools, frankly. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, it's, it's right. And there was someone else that... I was talking about clubs. Touch on that a little bit too, because this is a very common thing. We've seen it here in the Pacific Northwest for a really long time, but they're having these uh, these extracurricular clubs now during what would normally have been uh, regular academic teaching hours, right? Yeah, they were talking about that. They had some uh, a teacher and some students there at this uh, board meeting to talk about these wonderful new clubs. And they used to have clubs after school. I mean, when I went to school, uh, when, you know, Abe Lincoln and I went to school, we would occasionally, you know, we'd have a chess club after school or we'd have, you know, whatever. But now every faculty member, at least in our district, has to be involved in a club. And clubs now take place during school hours because we're doing so well at reading and math that we don't right. need any more time to that area. But all of those key words buzzed by as she was explaining these clubs because they're designed to help every student feel heard and inclusive and participation and to be part of community and all of this stuff. So three little girls got up and showed how how the beautiful little quilts, blankets they'd made, you know, where you tie the fringes together all the way around to make oh, a, yeah. a little flannel quilt. And that they just felt so heard and so included and so much a part of a community this way. And meanwhile, they were talking about uh, that whole process as being an essential part of education today. And they, kept, and they also kept giving they gave a number of reports on surveys of students to see whether they felt heard, whether they felt included, whether they felt their voices were important in education. And I thought, boy, nobody ever asked me that when I was in school. They <laughs> put the comic book back in my desk and pay attention, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Which is the job of an educator, right? I, one, I'm would a, one would think. I remarked on my Facebook page the other day that any teacher that teaches something besides reading, writing, and arithmetic uh, should be fired. And I mean it. 
like, when are we going to get back to, you know, the, the United States is failing on the world stage. That's for sure. I mean, obviously, we've got, you know, massive political problems. But beyond the political problems, our education system is ranking our nation among the least uh, educated of all the nations in the world. But I'll tell you, these kids are schooled. They can tell you what their pronouns should be. If you go into, into any school in Portland, Oregon, they'll, the, these kids can talk to you about cultural appropriation. They can talk to you about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They can talk to you about whether or not transgender men can get pregnant. And this is hurting our children. I've got one other question because I've been, I've been very, very outspoken on this issue. And probably you you've been leading the charge. Uh, for, you know, for a, a long, long time, but I feel like recently getting a little bit more pushback, I think because parents are starting to have their conscience and pricked a little bit. And so when, you know, when Heidi St. John gets on the podcast and says, listen, at this point, you're sinning. The Bible says in Luke 640, then when a student is fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. The responsibility of parents is to nurture, train and educate your children. It's exactly what you said at the onset of the show, that they do not belong to the state. They belong to parents and God will hold parents accountable for yep. what they allow into the lives of their children. The, the parents are the gatekeepers. And yet, uh, over and over, and I'm still dealing with this, you know, parents tell me, well, I could never do that. You know, I don't have the patience for it. Oh, but my kids are going to be salt and light. What do you say, Steve, to the parent uh, who is trying to counter the salt and light argument? So a parent comes up to you at church and says, hey, Steve, you know, I heard that you went to school board meeting and they're, they're peddling pornography to our children. But hey, my kids are salt and light. What do you say? Yeah, our children are not missionaries. Our children are a mission field. Thank and you. If you stand on top of a table and you try to pull somebody up onto the table beside you while they're trying to pull you down off the table to their level, I guarantee you who wins that battle 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. And I hear parents say, you know, well, you don't understand because my, my daughter has a, a real nice Christian lady as her teacher this right. year in fourth grade or whatever. And I appreciate that. And mm -hmm. I have friends who are public school educators. Some of As them do I. are yeah. good, godly people who are trying their best to swim upstream in an ocean that's that's uh, a tide that's coming in against them. But that's kind of the equivalent of playing academic Russian roulette. I mean, so maybe this child this year in this particular room maybe isn't as bad as it could be. But in general, you're playing a deadly game. And sooner or later, it's going to go bang in your face when they get the wrong teacher in the wrong class in the wrong year. Mm. And that's a game that I'm not I wouldn't not not be willing to play with my children today. Mm. We just we you know, we chose homeschooling. 40 years ago, because we thought we could do a better job because we wanted to enjoy our children, because we wanted to be a family, because we wanted to be able to travel together and 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 enjoy the relationships that God had given us as a family. Mm -hmm. But now I think there's lots of other reasons to consider that, even if you're not your if that's not your focus, just because our children. Uh, are being taught crazy stuff, just crazy stuff. Well, and when you say, you know, our children are being taught, it, I think an even better word is that they're being targeted. You know, uh, we know that our children come to us in need of shepherding. This is what I spent my entire podcast on yesterday, talking about the importance. In fact, Steve, I was talking about the coffee coterie. And oh. when uh, when Jane saw the pictures of the shepherdesses, that were lining the walls of that room that, that we used to meet in. And I was saying, hey, our job as parents, according to God, is that we are the shepherds of our children. We are the primary educators. We are the our child's first and greatest influence in their lives. And what we've done is we have taken that role and we've abdicated it to the state. And we are paying a terrible, 
price for it. Actually, our children are the ones who are paying a terrible price for it. But ultimately, the nation, our churches, the communities, the culture is suffering because of it. When you talk to parents who are considering homeschooling, and I've, I've heard you talk, you know, oh, goodness, you know, countless times over the years to parents who are kind of at the jumping off place. Maybe they got their kids in school. Maybe they're they're just they're starting to see now their eyes are getting opened. You know, oh, my goodness, when we've got the transgender flag is flying in our schools, when our kids are being uh, indoctrinated, which is really what it is. I mean, sun up to sundowns, propaganda, mostly from the LGBT, you know, the alphabet mafia. What what kind of encouragement can you give? I think I've been talking to moms for the majority of the week, so I'm hoping you can kind of talk to, to fathers who I think sometimes can sort of check out of the process. What do you say to uh, to dads in particular who are looking at what's happening in the schools and trying to decide uh, what they should do with their own children? Well, <clears throat> when Jane came to me in 1980 and asked me what I would think about the idea of homeschooling our own children, I was <laughs> completely flipped over onto my <laughs> lid. I'd never heard of such a thing. I didn't know if I asked her, oh, is that legal? Can you even do that? I don't understand. What are you talking about? <laughs> Um, and as I prayed about it in the days and weeks that followed, I felt like the Lord spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but if you're a Christ follower, you understand what I'm talking about. And I felt like the Lord said, you're accountable for how your kids are raised. And if at the end of the day, you're not pleased with how your kids turn out, don't blame the schools. Don't blame liberals. Don't blame a democratic president. You're accountable for how you raise them. And I felt like the Lord said, you know, if you want to delegate some of that responsibility to other people. You may do that, you know, but be wise in how you go about that. Uh, and I thought, you know, if I'm accountable for to sit for the final exam on this thing, then I ought to at least be a part of the process and go to class and know what's going on with my kids. And so, uh, and and as a footnote, it was several years later, I felt like the Lord told me the second part of that. He said, and your kids are accountable for how they turn out, which, um, you know, we all know great parents who've raised lost kids and we've known lost parents who've raised great kids but in general if you do your part according to god's word and his faithfulness draws alongside you your kids will turn out well but i can tell you for no matter how much your kids are a star on their school tennis team or a star in their school debate team or whatever else it is we are now long since the past past the point of seeing of our peers the kids grown our kids are now as old as you are heidi and we're seeing our grandkids now uh, emerging as young adults in their 20s. And I can't think of anything more tragic. I sit with a guy at least once a week whose kids are absolute messes in their 40s. And he bemoans every week when we sit together over lunch the way his kids have turned out. And um, whatever whatever it costs you in the process in terms of time, convenience, income, is nothing in comparison to what it'll cost you if you're not diligent and you don't stay on top of it and your kids are indoctrinated and swallowed up by the beast. And then you look back all the rest of your life and watch all the problems that your kids get into as young adults trying to raise their family, not knowing how to manage their money, not knowing how to hold down a job, not knowing how to work, not knowing anything that we're called to disciple and teach our children. So, you know, do what you want, dad. But I promise you this, a little investment now will compound the interest and you'll reap a rich harvest when your kids are grown. Well, and as someone wisely said, we either can do the hard work now 
for uh, training our children and investing in them and putting our own needs and wants aside. Because a lot of that's what a lot of it is. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we want an easy button for parenting. But as a mother of seven, I'm here to tell you, there is no easy button. And But if you plant and water now and prune and do the hard work, then you get to sit in the shade of that tree in your old age and enjoy harvest. That's right. And there we we all we all go through serious, you know, seasons of reaping and seasons of sowing. It's funny, Steve, on the way into the studio today, Jay and I were talking about some stuff in our own family and uh, and sort of where, you know, firmly planted is and and this move that we're making to try to help other parents have homeschool resource centers. And he said, you know, Heidi, because I realized that the last, you know, for the last 30, almost 35 years that we have been together, we've really been sowing. And and we all go through seasons where we're tired and we just want to give up, you know, but we are entering now a season of reaping. And what you're saying is absolutely true. And we can either do the hard work on the front end or we can or we'll end up doing the hard work on the back end. And I would rather I'd rather do it God's way, which is the hard way and the hard work on the front end and, and to get to experience the joy of of parenting and knowing that you're walking with the Lord as you do it, and you're, it's a partnership with the Lord of Heaven's armies, and he's the one who sustains the homeschoolers. You remember quite well that when Jane and I first met you 15 years ago, and we were so impressed with you and Jay, and we were like, man, these guys are inspiring, they're amazing, they're brilliant, they're gifted, they're stunning, but let's just take time out and get to know their kids. Let's see how their kids are. Because so often I've met people who were great on a platform and their kids were a train wreck. And I knew that what went on on the platform was not at all what went on at home. Mm. And so we began kind of informally interviewing your children over the weeks and months that followed and discovered that they were good kids who were being trained and discipled and loved the Lord and were bright and well-educated and were already taking their part in society. And that's when we decided, all right, Jay and Heidi are going to be okay. We can we can be friends and partner with them in, in building something together. So. Well, it's really been uh, our joy to walk with you and Jane, you know, for many years now and just and be really co-laborers for the Lord. You guys sit on the board of directors for Firmly Planted Families, so we get to interact frequently about what's happening with the nonprofit organization. But beyond that, just to see your involvement, continued involvement in the lives of the homeschool movement, you know, many, many parents who are still being influenced, your wife, of course, the author of a very well-known and loved homeschool curriculum, five in a row. And right. uh, and so you guys have been invested in the homeschool movement for a long time. And I just want to honor you for it because a lot of people would have said, hey, you know what? I did my part. My kids are grown. I'm out. Uh, but you recognize that the battle is still raging and we need these people. We need people like yourselves to stay on the field. Well, thank you, Heidi. And I, I agree. Not everybody's called to do that, but so many people do a great job of homeschooling and then boom, they're off to play golf and retire somewhere. And mm-hmm. as you and I have talked about often, there's really not any retirement within the kingdom of God. That's you, right. You do what he calls you to do until he calls you home. That's right. That's right. And there's a blessing in it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find five in a row? Uh, just spell out one long word, F-I-V-E-I-N-A-R-O-W.com, five in a row.com. We've been around now for 28 years. We've been publishing curriculum. It's been used by Six or 700,000 children in about 60 different countries, and we help kids from preschool up through about 6th or 7th grade. We don't do any high school materials, but uh, it's, all, it's all grown over the years just by word of mouth from moms telling, veteran moms telling new, new moms, hey, we tried this, we spent a fortune on that, 
Yep. I went to a convention. I got overwhelmed, but uh, a veteran mom told me about five in a row, and it's changed our lives. And so that's that's how the company continues to grow. It's wonderful. A literature approach based to homeschooling your younger children. You guys are going to love it. Check it out. Five in a row dot com. Steve Lambert, my friend, thank you for coming on the show. It's always a joy to have you here. Always fun to be with you, Heidi. Thanks. You're welcome. You guys want more information on my guest and on five in a row, you can go to the show notes today and I'll link back to it. I hope you're encouraged. We don't want you to feel discouraged by what's happening in the culture. God has given you the opportunity to invest in the lives of your children. And if you've got young children at home, if your kids are still school age, now is that time. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and